in terms of comparing our organization to 29 other organizations, uh, we, we hit the ball harder than everyone else. Uh, we make better swing decisions, arguably, than anybody else. Uh, and something that we're really proud of from, from 2022 to 2023 is, as an organization, we've now gone from 27th all the way up to 13th in terms of strikeout rate. Right. So that's been, a, that's been a huge jump. If you had the chance to have a beer with your favorite baseball player, what would you talk about? Would you ask the same tired questions like every reporter after the game? How did you feel? What was going through your mind? Yada, yada, yada. Probably not. It's time you hear the stories that these players have never told. This is the Setup Man Podcast, where we have conversations that every fan wants to hear and the stories that every player and coach deserve to share. Let's get started. Welcome in, Setup Nation. I am really, really excited about today's episode. It's it's a different take than usual. In fact, the next couple episodes are a little bit different than the past. You've, you've seen us talk to players. You've seen us talk to former players. You've seen us talk to now. We just got done with our broadcaster series, and today is going to be a hitting coach. That's right. Uh, actually, a hitting coordinator. Don't get those two mixed up. Hitting coordinator for the New York Yankees, Joe Migliaccio. But before we get deep into that conversation about what we talked about, I want you to go to setupman.net to see all of those past episodes from Troy Gloss to Matt Strom to Ted Lilly and all of our broadcasters. So many different really great conversations, even female coach Rachel Balkovic. That was a really cool one as well. So make sure you go check that out at setupman.net. Now with Joe today, I actually got introduced to Joe through Rachel Balkovic. And the first question I asked Joe off camera was, what is a hitting coordinator? What's the difference between a coach and a hitting coordinator? And he was like, I can't even begin to tell you how many differences there are. So that was a really cool part of the conversation. We also talked just about you know the the times that the Yankees are going through right now is a really tough season for them, especially from a hitting standpoint, and what the hitting philosophy of the Yankees is, and really how important hitting philosophies are as an organization. We talk about all of that right here on the Setup Man podcast. So let's get to it right now with Joe Migliaccio. All right, here we go, Joe Migliaccio. Uh, I'm just excited that I can say your name correctly. Uh, I'm sure you've had that botched a few times, but uh, hitting coordinator for the Yankees. And a little fun fact for our uh, Setup Man audience, um, you and I became first-time dads actually right around the same time. You've got a nine-month-old, i got a six-month-old. How How is dad life treating you, dude? Yeah, it's um, you know, you you get some of the horror stories, you get some of the the really good stories, and so far it's been it's been an absolute blessing. Um, my my wife has been a rock star to date, so I just kind of feel like I'm there in support, and what can I help with? But um, it's been it's been incredible so far. Well, and it, correct me if I'm wrong. Before we kind of jump into things here, it, being the the coordinator, yeah, you're traveling, but it feels like maybe not traveling as much as like if you were the hitting coach on the actual Yankees, are you home a little bit more than most in the organization? Yeah. So basically how that works is where, when, when our coaches leave for the season, you know, they might leave their home for, for six months if they're not local relative to where their affiliate club is. Uh, fortunately in my role, one of the pros is I'm able to, to travel out to those affiliates and then I can travel back home uh, and fortunately for me, my home is is right here in Tampa, where we have our player development complex, and we also have our our A ball club, the Tampa Tarpons. So, two of our affiliates, if you will, are right here in my backyard, and I can travel from Tampa up to Newark. And then um, our three affiliates up there, the Hudson Valley Renegades, High A, they're in uh, right around Poughkeepsie, New York, which is about an hour and a half from Newark Airport. Our Double yeah. A affiliate the Somerset Patriots they are about 40 minutes from the Newark airport uh, in Bridgewater, New Jersey. And then our AAA affiliate uh, in Scranton, Pennsylvania, it's about two hours. So all within a, a relatively easy drive. Uh, but I mean, very, very accessible to fly up there, uh, accomplish what I need to accomplish and then fly back down to Tampa and uh, keep working down here. There you go. All right. Funny you mentioned Somerset Patriots. I just saw Frank the Tank threw out the first pitch the other day. <laughs> you follow that at all? <laughs> I did. I did see that. Yeah. Oh, he's he's a riot, man. Um, if you guys don't know who Frank the Tank is, just look him up. Huge Mets fan, and like <laughs> he, he's not happy this year. <laughs> uh, 
All right. So Joe, first of all, I'm excited to bring clarity to our audience of like what the hitting coordinator does, because when I first hear hitting coordinator, I'm thinking to myself, like not much different than the hitting coach, but after talking to you, there's a lot of differences. And I'm, I'm really excited just from like a understanding the organization of a major league baseball team. This is going to be a fun episode, but before we get into that, I do want to know what was that path to leading you to becoming the Yankees hitting coach? Give me the background of, of Joe's life. Yeah, honestly, kind of a wild ride up until getting here. Um, played collegiately, uh, played in junior college at Parkland College in Champaign, Illinois, and then ended up at Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I finished up my my playing career and um, had some injuries, just didn't work out for me from a playing side of things, but um, started to realize that I wanted to stay in the game. I wanted to get into coaching. And so that that first that first transition into coaching the advice I got was you just got to get something on your resume. You've got to find a summer um, in college baseball. There's summer leagues throughout the country. So the advice I got was you got to try to get on into one of these summer leagues. So uh, thankfully that door opened and I was able to get into, into the the Jayhawk league and coach for the liberal BJs. Cool. And from there it was just, you know, send as many emails as I can try to link on and get that first job in collegiate collegiate baseball. Um, it's really a work your way up sort of sort of profession. So um, thankfully, thankfully, I was able to get a position at Siena College in Loudonville, New York, just north of Albany. Um, and honestly, I don't know that there was a better situation out there than to start at Siena College. The, the head coach who just retired this year, his name's Tony Rossi. He had been there for 50 plus years as a consecutive head coach. I think the longest tenured Division One head coach in the country uh, up until this year. Oh, wow. And yeah, just an incredible experience. I spent about a year and a half there and just taught me, taught me so much about just how to coach and how to talk to people and being, being organized and when to do certain things throughout the year. And he really just gave me the autonomy to, to work in certain areas, but, but with obviously with uh, guardrails up. So uh, it felt like every day I was learning something from him and um, yeah, really just accelerated my career. Um, I, I'm forever thankful to this day for, for what I learned from him and the experiences that I had there. Um, and to be honest, like after spending some time up there, got the advice that, you know, wherever you get that first job, sometimes you tend to stick in that region of the country and mm. the Northeast is great. Uh, I love it up there. I have family up there, but, um, I went to college at Oral Roberts and I met my wife out there at college. So I wanted to get closer to the Midwest and ended up landing on a, on a job the following year at Southeast Missouri state university. And uh, I think I really just got lucky with what they had going on at SEMO. Um, they had won two championships in a row. They were going for the third one. Um, and they ended up winning a third one that year. The, the head coach there ended up getting the job at the university of Missouri. So, you know, six months later I was going with him to Missouri. I went there as a GA and was able to get my master's degree and also help out with the program. And, wouldn't you know it a year later, another job opens up and now I'm able to get more recruiting responsibility and made the transition to Murray State University in Murray, Kentucky, and uh, had that that job for a year. And, um, you know, a, a year later, um, got the hitting coach job at the University of Iowa. And that was that was a phenomenal experience wow. as well. And uh, of course, here we go. Six, seven months later, Dylan Lawson gets hired as the Yankees hitting coordinator. And uh, we have some some background uh, with knowing each other and basically just called and we talked about what the position entails and what that would look like. And uh, so so five jobs in about five years, which was a whirlwind, just trying to move up uh, yeah. through the job, through through the, the profession of college baseball and never truly considered professional baseball as where I wanted to go. And wow. back then, around the 2018, 2019 timeframe, it just so happened that professional organizations were they were hiring college coaches left and right. And I think there was this, this big shift into, okay, we're going to invest on the player development side more than, more than we had before. Why do you think I that? Think, is? I think teams were probably just looking to, to get the most out of their investments. You know, they're, they're giving international players, they're giving high school yeah. players and college players a lot of money. And um, the sooner that you can develop them, the faster you can develop them. If they can, 
if they can invest in maybe coaches that have a, a proven track record of player development in specific areas that they value, the sooner they can get that player up levels and increase their value, whether it's a trade or whether it's for their own big league club, I think that's probably the route that they were looking to looking to go with. Um, and fortunately, I had been I had been at a couple schools that were pretty progressive in terms of technology and player development. And um, it, honestly, I probably just got a little lucky at the same time. Um, and that that's part of it as well. But there were there were countless people along the way that that I've learned from and have molded my own philosophies and what we currently do here. So, um, yeah, I think a little bit of luck being around the right people meeting the right people, all that probably came to fruition. And, and it's probably a reason why I'm here today. So you said something interesting and and really uh, I want to dive more into your role here in a little bit, but I, I'm, I'm getting this uh, connecting the dots here. You've mentioned that right around 18, 19 player development became more important and teams started to invest a lot more in it. I can't help but notice over the last few years, it just feels like the stars of the game are turning over quicker than ever. And they're also younger than ever. Um, you don't, you know, back when I was a fan, you know, you had the, the Sosa's Maguire's bonds, Griffey's who literally from the time they were 23, 24 years old were stars until they were about 40. Now it feels like there's this shorter gap of stars from maybe 23 to 29. And then they start to like fade off, but there's this new turnover of all these incoming stars. Do you think that's because of all this extra, attention that teams have invested into player development? Yeah, it's a really great question. I think um, there's probably a combination of, of developing players faster. There's probably a combination of what certain teams value and how, how they feel like they can develop that's that specific skill. Uh, I also think that um, as, as young kids turn into young adults, they, they probably just have better training uh, up through their lives. They're, they're mm. so much more athletic. Uh, they're stronger, they're faster. And we have, we have, you know, international players that, that have athleticism that are off the charts and they're only 16 years old. And if we can continue progressing that they're, they're going to have a really long career in baseball. And um, the next year, it's going to be the same thing. We're going to have another class come in of just incredibly athletic players that we can help hone in their skill set from a baseball standpoint and hopefully progress them faster than ever. So I think there's a combination of a couple of different things there of, of why, why maybe that's happening. Awesome. So Joe, the first question I asked you when we first met was what is the difference between a hitting coordinator and the major league hitting coach? Uh, so I'm going to ask you that same question now. Can you bring some clarity to that for our audience? Yeah, uh, pretty big difference. So uh, as a coach, whether it's the major league coach or an affiliate coach, obviously that person's responsible for the, the 13 to 15 hitters they have on their roster at any given time. Uh, I'm not so much on the ground doing, doing work with those players. My job, my job more so revolves around making sure that our processes are in place and are being executed uh, in the most optimal way. Uh, so I'd say where our affiliate coaches are more so coaching the players, my job revolves around coaching our coaches. Mm. Um, I, I don't think we have coaches that want to be, rookie ball coaches forever or double a coaches forever. So I've got to, I've got to be able to help our coaches develop certain skill sets that um, if they want to be a, if they want to be coordinator one day, uh, I can help them get to that. If they want to be a big league coach one day, I can help them get to that. And obviously, obviously there's different avenues for people and everybody's a little bit different, but providing that feedback, providing those low hanging fruit opportunities for each coach and making sure they're aware of areas that need to get better. Um, that's that's really what my job is on a daily basis. Is just being a su a supported piece for our coach if they need anything. I'm there. Um, yeah, it's um it, it's completely different than being on the ground with the players, um, especially from a travel perspective. Uh, you know, I'm I'm probably on average visiting each affiliate one time a month, um, and within those trips, staying up to date with the, what the players are doing and if I can do any kind of deep dives that can save the coach some workload doing those as well, but more so just being there as a support piece, making sure that our processors are in place and we're going in the direction that we need to go. Um, and yeah, I'd probably say from a 30,000 foot view, that's, that, that's what that difference looks like. 
Cool. So like comparing it to schools, your minor league hitting coaches are kind of the teachers and you're basically their principal. They report to you and you're giving them all the tools, all of the support that they need to be able to be successful. Yeah. And, um, you know, I wouldn't even think it it's that extreme because the coaches okay. that we have on staff are, our staff is incredible. The, the people that we have that are working with our players, um, and maybe I'm biased because I'm, I'm here, here with them, but I think they're, some of the best that this profession offers. So I think um, everyone's got some different skills. Um, we talk about developing players and developing them faster than everyone else and getting those players to stick in the big leagues faster than everyone else. Um, but at the same time, we, we need to develop our coaches. And if we can develop our coaches, we can make sure that their careers take off and they can get to places and uh, goals that they have for themselves professionally and personally, and if I can, if I can help, help them get there, then, then I think we're doing things pretty good. So my curiosity with how the organization works, especially uh, with my background in business, I think about it from a set of here's the company values or the organizational values. Now let's go bring that to the entire organization from an administrative standpoint. So we talk about from value standpoint, especially a hitting philosophy. Do you feel like the hitting philosophy is kind of where everything comes back to, or how big of a role does a team's hitting philosophy play in your role of helping these coaches? I think the most powerful thing that our organization has going for us is that our philosophy is scaled throughout from the DR all the way up through our affiliates. I think mm -hmm. there's this common theme throughout professional baseball, at least at least in the past, where uh, you hear stories from players all the time. Um, hey, I went from this level to this level, and it's it's a it's a coach telling me different things. And I right. think what what we do really well is uh, we have a universal hitting philosophy, and it's as simple as three words: it's hit strikes hard. Uh, and as simple as that might that that may sound, like within each word, there there are layers of depth to to the words itself. Uh, but but when players go from A ball to high A, the philosophy is not changing. We're simply adding more depth to that player and how we need to develop them. When they go from high A to double A, it's the same. It's the same philosophy. We have the same training tools, but we just start to add more depth to that player's skill set. Uh, and at every level, you know, uh, I, I was in the Dominican Republic two weeks ago and talking with our coaches down there. Mm -hmm. They, they can't do everything. So what we're trying to do is just build a build a strong foundation of certain skill sets. So when those players arrive to the United States, our coaches here in Tampa can build on those skill sets that have been put in place. So it's um, I think every organization has has things that they value. Um, how they hire impacts how those things are being valued and how strong they're being valued. Um, and I think. Well, obviously what we value are, uh, we have internal metrics that we value a ton, but, but it's not like, it's not like these crazy made up metrics that, that people think, um, we, we value making contact and we value swinging at pitches that are over the plate and we value not swinging at pitches that are not over the plate. And it just so happens when you make contact on strikes, you tend to hit them harder. It's like this super, yeah. this super easy philosophy that when you, when you scale it down, it's just three words. It's, Hey, let's hit strikes hard. Uh, but obviously there's a lot more to it, right? There's, there's the mechanical factor. There's uh, players recognize pitches differently. Players have different strengths. So we look to maximize all those and the lesser strengths that players have, if we can help elevate those at the same time, I think we're, we're developing guys pretty well. So what you're telling me is Javi Baez is probably not the ideal <laughs> hit strikes hard guy for your, for your hitting philosophy. Uh, uh I will, we don't have to go into that. I, I do want to go deeper though on, uh, you, you mentioned metrics, uh, and I want to know is, is there actually, you said, you know, hitting strikes and balls in the zone, but is there actual measurable metrics for that, that you use just kind of pulling, pulling the curtain back. So people know exactly how that's measured. Yeah. I think, um, there's obviously so much that's being measured today. Um, whether it's, whether it's simple metrics of how hard is a player hitting a ball in terms of exit velocity or um, at what angle is the ball coming off the bat, talking about the launch angle of the baseball. 
Um, and, and there's obviously a ton of predictive metrics that, that people tend to look at as well. Um, so there's, there's all kinds of, all kinds of metrics that you can look at. We have, we and probably 29 other teams have access to thousands of metrics and you can divvy that up so many different ways. But, but with that being said, the more that you kind of, the more that you go down that hole, the smaller the sample size gets. And when the sample size becomes too small, it's hard to really value something. So, uh, when we look at, when we look at a season as a whole, we're really just looking at what are, what are maybe some lesser strengths of a, of a hitter that we can help that are going to have the biggest impact to their performance in the game. Uh, and it just so happens, and I'll probably end up saying this a couple of different times here, but like the best hitters in the world, I'll do a lot of things that are pretty similar. They, they yeah. all make contact and they all relatively make really good swing decisions. And like, when I say swing decisions, it's not to, you know, make up this fancy term, if you will, it's, Hey, can we, can we swing at pitches that, that we can do damage on? Can we recognize pitches enough to, to lay off those? So we don't put balls in play that are just weak contact. Um, so yeah, there's, there's all kinds of stuff that, that we, and, and again, 29 other teams are probably looking into and each organization probably looks into things a little bit differently and, how deep they look into them. But, but at the end of the day, uh, I think every team wants hitters that are putting balls in play and they're hitting them hard and they probably want them to hit them hard for extra base hitch, which is, it's just simply over the infielder's head. So when you can do that consistently on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, you end up having a pretty good, pretty good player. So we, um, we've got some really cool things in place to do that. When you, when you look at the scale of a whole season from a minor league side, it's, you know, let's call it 120 to 140 games. And you've got players that are getting 300, 400, 500 plate appearances. And if you, if you just look at, you know, the scoreboard numbers from a whole season, sometimes you don't see those little wins throughout the season. So we've, we've developed some really cool trends that we look at and maybe some, some, some smaller sample sizes, but it gives us enough to say, Hey, this player's potentially tr trending in this wrong direction. We can we can make this slight adjustment and make sure that this uh, this pothole in the road, if you will, doesn't become a sinkhole. Because if it becomes a sinkhole, we're going to be spending the next the next 50 games trying to get him out of this. So we've got we've got some really cool trip wires in place to make sure that if players start trending in the wrong direction, we can we can adjust the training how we need to. And that probably that probably takes us to another avenue of I think what we do really really well is we track all of our players' training. Uh, from a hitting side, obviously, uh, every drill they're doing on a daily basis. And at the end of the day, if what they're doing in training is not having a positive impact on the game, I think uh, it probably makes it makes a good amount of sense to maybe adjust what that training is, what that training is. Um, so we're trying to match what's happening in the cage. We're trying to match what's happening in on-field hitting to what the player is actually doing. So there, there's plenty of different avenues to go down, whether it's they need to swing more in the zone or they need to – they need to elevate the ball more. They need to stop chasing breaking balls, whatever sure. it may be. We have all those safety nets in place. That way we can attack them. If we start things, if we start to see things go a little bit South. This might be a tough question, but as you're talking about players trending downward, is there a specific example that comes to mind of like a player recently or in the last couple of years that you're like, Hey, we're seeing this player transition downward or sorry trend downward and you guys were able to identify a few things and now you know they've turned things around maybe they're even on the major league roster now Any, anyone come to mind like that yeah i think um an example that comes pretty quick is we have um we have a, a first baseman in double a named tj rumfield rumfield who he's down right now but um you know he's he does so many things really well he's he's this he's this player where He's got a lot of different puzzle pieces that that you really like in a player, and we're just trying to put those puzzle pieces together. So one of the, mm. you know, making contact can be a blessing and a curse at times. Um, I don't think anybody right. wants to wants to say, yeah, I'm okay with striking out or I like striking out. Um, there, there's this competitive nature behind it of I don't want to strike out, and because TJ makes so much contact when when he gets two strike counts, historically he'll tend to he'll tend to swing at pitches that are balls because he doesn't want the umpire to make a bad call. And now he's, you know, now he's got strike three and he's got to head back to the bench. So um, what, what's really cool is we look at some of these trends and we see that before two strikes, he's got, he's got really good swing decisions. He's making really good pitches on, 
really, excuse me, really good decisions on pitches he sh- should swing at, and he's making really good decisions on pitches he should take. Uh, but at a time earlier this year, we saw this trend where in two strike counts, his approach would start to really change. And so we just have this conversation with him about this trend that we're seeing and adjust training a little bit. And what's really cool is the, the players in, in professional baseball and, and obviously at a, at a lot of higher colleges, you can, you can really just have a conversation with a guy. And, and a lot of times they can just make the adjustment on the fly and cool. you, you make them aware of the situation and what's happening in the trends. It's like, yeah, I can, I can make that adjustment. Thanks for letting me know. And, uh, TJ's training just adjusted slightly from um, the type of zones he would choose to sit in during his training. And wouldn't you know it, he started applying that in the game literally that day. Um, so so we get game by game feedback in terms of how how players are producing that day. And um, you obviously celebrate this, celebrate those wins as well. And you start to see the the two game trend and the three game trend. And it starts to become uh, a positive trend over 10 games. And you know that that adjustment you made in training has a, has a positive impact on the decisions he's making in the game because he's now producing so much better than he did before. So awesome. um, little little stories like that are um, – they're obviously not talked about much, uh, but they're major wins for players. That way, um, you know, you keep swinging at, at pitches that are six inches off the plate. You're just not going to have a lot of success. And as hitters start to move up levels, pitchers are just going to exploit that. So we can – if we can tighten that up, um, he, he's just going to be set up for success as he keeps moving up. Well, awareness is everything, right? And being able to help a player be aware of these trends that you're seeing that they may not be able to see does make a huge difference. But you mentioned some training. Is that T work? You talked about zones, right? Like, is he just putting the T in a different location? Is he uh, hitting different pitches that are ending up in the zone instead of out of the zone? Like, what what does that actual training look like to help connect the the physicality of making contact with the brain of making right decisions yeah so um you kind of you kind of look at it from a game point of view and the way that we look at training is if we can if we can start at the game and just peel back layers from there obviously you you know you peel back a layer and you get in the cage and maybe the next layer is uh, you've got two big hack attack machines that one throws a fastball and one throws a breaking ball and you're feeding it you're feeding it randomly. Maybe the hitter's mm-hmm. not ready for that. Okay, let's peel it back another layer. Maybe it's just one machine. Uh, maybe he's not ready for that, so you peel it back another layer and you get to um, a smaller machine where the, the velo's not as high or the movement's not as great. It's like, okay, we found that break where he's having success against this, so let's start here and work back up into those big machines. Or mm-hmm. um, we, we tend not to go, okay, we're at the game. A player's not having success with his decisions. Let's go all the way back to the T. Uh, and there's probably a time and a place for a T, right? Players for for hundreds of years have used the T, but in terms of making decisions, there's a lot more to it than just using the T. Uh, or hitters are not to get too deep into this, but hitters are they're they're gaining so much information from from a pitcher's kinematics, and they're they're getting information from how the ball's coming out of the hand, and they're tracking that pitch. Uh, from release all the way, all the way, hopefully as close to contact as possible. So that's why we try to peel back the layers from the game instead of starting all the way back on the other end with the T and working back up. So we've we've really found that the closer we can keep it game like, but also find that point of success and no success, we tend to see that transition happen much closer, um, getting that transition back into the game and having success quicker. So. Uh, whether it's machines or whether you know our coach is actually in there throwing to him, whether we're doing live at bats and a coach is throwing, maybe maybe he's not ready for that. So we'll do we'll do mixed live at bats where hey, I'm I'm going to tell you what pitch I'm going to throw, and you're going to have to decide that's a good pitch to hit or it's not a good pitch to hit. And then within all that training, um, I know you started this question with talking about zones, or I had referenced it, and everyone's a little bit different, but we we use a system called the seven ball plank. Um, and so essentially, if you set seven balls across home plate, um, if I'm a left-handed hitter and you're standing in the box, the, the baseball closest to you is ball one, and the baseball farthest away is ball seven. And the same can be said for the right-handed hitters, where the closest baseball is number one and the farthest baseball is number seven. So um, again, referencing back to we have this common terminology, this common philosophy throughout the organization, our hitter in the DR that's 17 years old know that 
knows that if he comes back and says it crosses, it crossed the number two, he can make that same mm. statement in double A, and the hitter knows that it crossed the number two. Right. So I think having that having that lingo is super powerful, especially when hitters come back from their at bats or they can describe movements. But essentially, when when we have hitters going through some of those adjustments. Uh, we're putting them in different zones. Maybe it's based on the count or it's based on their strengths. Or uh, if if a player's chasing off the plate, maybe I'm going to throw 50% of pitches over the plate and 50% of pitches off the plate away. That way he has to learn to make that adjustment where a pitch needs to start to see where it needs to land. So all kind of, all kind of different training philosophies that we're using in the cage. And uh, at the end of the day, making it, making it extremely specific to the individual uh, yeah. what we're looking to accomplish with them. Yeah. It sounds, you know, there's not a cookie cutter answer for this. It's what's best for that individual hitter. So that's really cool to see. Um, talking just general hitting philosophy overall, you mentioned launch angle. Sounds like that's a metric that you guys measure as well. How much emphasis do you put on that? Yeah, I think, um, obviously important and, and unfortunately maybe, maybe the term launch angle gets, gets this, negative thought behind it with how how you tend to describe it or how people tend to describe it but uh, it's a relatively easy term it's just you know what's what's the angle that the ball's coming off the bat and there are there are clearly more optimal angles than than not if um if i had if i hit a ball at negative five degrees it it just so turns out that professional infielders are really good so that that tends to be an out more often than not regardless of how hard it's hit um, and there's also there's also this flaw that people think that we're just teaching hitters to hit home runs and we're okay with right. swing and miss. It's it's definitely not the case. You know, we we want to find that middle ground of what's optimal in terms of how can we make contact, but how can we make that contact the most quality as, as possible. So, in terms of launch angles, we're just we're 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 trying to we're trying to develop swing mechanics that are getting guys in optimal positions to produce optimal batted balls and. Uh, we're really just looking for line drives over the infielders' heads, and if we can do that consistently, uh, it's very, very rare. Do you do you perfectly square up a baseball, or do you max it out? Uh, so you miss it a lot of things. So we just want to make those miss hits turn into extra base hits, and um, I think I think we do a relatively good job of that. Um, we're we're not sitting here saying hit a home run or swing and miss. There there's there's a place in the middle that I think is is a pretty happy medium in terms of players producing the way they want to produce and um, how that performance looks to the organization itself and how that performance is going to help players move up levels. So um, there's many, there's many factors with launch angle. Obviously it's, it's going to be a byproduct of the swing that the hitter is producing and how they're making impact with, with that baseball to ultimately get that, that end term in the launch angle. But it's like you, you look at uh, a lot of times when you look on these different websites that have that have metrics there there's just this average in terms of looking at launch angle but i think what um what we're looking to do is we're looking to obviously square the ball up consistently so if if we've got a player that has a launch angle of 15 degrees that, that's a pretty good place you're pretty happy about that but again okay. let's peel back the layers to see how that player is getting there is he does he have a super steep, steep swing at contact? So he's producing a lot of pop-ups and ground balls, and this average is becoming 15 degrees where, okay, now it's a little bit misleading. Or is this player producing a lot of batted balls between 10 and 20 degrees, and now he's got this average of 15? So uh, I think peeling back those those layers in terms of how is the player getting to that average and what's happening uh, obviously, that's an important piece that that we're trying to look into every day with all of our hitters. So without giving away the secret sauce, uh, I don't want you to give away any secrets. I'm just thinking to myself, okay, uh, Bonds, Hank Aaron, Ken Griffey Jr., Ichiro Suzuki, all these guys that I would consider probably, you know, top of their craft. What's one thing that if, let's, you know, just say I'm a 12 year old kid, right? What's one thing that you would point out to a 12 year old that is trying to hone in their swing right now and saying, look at these guys. And here's one thing that they all have in common. What would that one, one thing be that you would share with that 12 year old? Man, I'd say, um, <clears throat> I'd say bat speed probably gets you a seat at every table, regardless sure. if it's little league, high school, college, or pro ball. Uh, but obviously how that bat speed is being produced is really important as well. You could uh, it could take you a long time to get that bat speed going. You could 
you could produce that bat speed in a really short window. But at the end of the day, if, if you can produce bat speed in a pretty small window and, and get to contact quick, it's, it's probably going to play. And um, I'd say another common theme of all those hitters is most the best hitters in the world, they, they load their hips, uh, whether it's, whether it's a little, whether it's a lot. Uh, and then from there, obviously there's a domino effect on how that's going to impact swing mechanics. And uh, you know, nothing I'm saying right now is new. Uh, if anybody's done their research on um, whether it's, uh, I'm sure people have internal studies and there's studies, there's studies out there that are that are available to the public right now. So there's there's all kinds of research out there on what hitters do and how that impacts certain mechanics and how that impacts ultimately what happens to the baseball. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, just um, it, it it seems that when when you have bat speed and you can make impact and you can make contact more often than not. You tend to have success more than more than the average player. Let's let's dive a little bit more into the Yankees. Interesting year, you know, especially for you. I would imagine Dylan Lawson, the guy that brought you in, uh, let go middle of the season. Sean Casey, um, a very animated, uh, been with MLB Network for a while now. He's your hitting coach with the Yankees. Talk about just from you know, where you're at in the organization, what that transition was like for you. Just describe that for me, if you can. Uh, my, my first, my first feeling when all that went down was uh, obviously just, just sad friend. Um, you, you hurt for the person you, you never want that situation to happen. Um, and, and unfortunately in this profession, it tends to happen a lot quicker than than yeah. most would like. So, so I think at first, you know, you, you just hurt for a friend and you try to be there for him. And, um, you know, Dylan and I have, we, we have a history that goes back a lot of years. And, um, you know, when we first came to the Yankees, we reflect on, you know, if, if we could start this over again, will we take this approach or if we could do this again, will we take this approach and you look at some of those different avenues. And uh, I think we're always, you know, not to speak for him, but we're always, we're always trying to get better, whether it's, knowledge knowledge of the swing or it's knowledge of um taking in information um i think we're always trying to get better and um that there's also a component of applying some of those philosophies and having those conversations and how you talk to people and how people learn and i think the more that the more that you have these experiences you know as as unfortunate as it might be that uh dylan's no longer with us i think there's there's experience that he's had over the last five years with the yankees that he's going to be able to take to his next job and he'll just be even better for it. So, um, you know, being glass full, one of those, one of those blessings, um, blessings that maybe it's, it's tough at first to maybe see the other side of things, but, uh, when, when he gets that next job, he'll, um, he'll be even better for it. So, uh, obviously tough because, you know, he, he brought in all of us in, in terms of, in terms of the, the hitting department, so we we've learned other him for the last the last couple of years and to be able to see him go from hitting coordinator to major league hitting coach slash director of hitting it was it was really cool internally to to see that happen and, and unfortunately it just didn't work out and, and like I said before um, sometimes it's just it's just part of it's just part of it I think it's good for people to know this tell tell the audience just how big this organization is and just how like a day to day it feels like there is so many different parts moving that when you actually get a chance to to step back and look at the organization, you realize just how how little you know each person within the organization. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think um, obviously we're really lucky, and we've got a phenomenal front office, and our ownership has been great. Uh, so, so in that case, we we have a lot of employees from from various different departments. You've got your your general departments in terms of hitting, pitching, defense, uh, but we we also we've got an incredible uh, performance science department. Um, we we are obviously split between we have the the home base in New York, but we've also got our player development complex in Tampa, and we also have an academy down in the Dominican Republic. So we've got we've got hundreds of employees that are spread out um, throughout throughout those those three different areas and. Um, I think what we do a really good job of it is like I mentioned earlier with our hitting philosophy, philosophy, but all of us are, we want to win, we want to win a world series, right? So we're all pulling yeah. in the direction of how can we win the next world series? What do we need to do? So speaking of the player development, uh, one of the players that you've been able to see kind of come up through and, and really has started to, I would say in the, the, you know, uh, 
probably right around May or June really find his stride was Anthony Volpe. Can you just talk about the development that you've seen with him knowing him when he was in the minor leagues and now being able to see your, you know, your work and the the whole organization's work kind of coming to fruition? I think um, you look at, you look at a player like Volpe, he's, he came in, you know, he's the first round draft pick. He had, he had incredible talents that he came in here with. So I think uh, obviously whether it was us with the Yankees or if he was picked with another team, he'd be a, he'd be a big leaguer regardless. I think, I think what we, uh, what we hopefully, hopefully helped with was the speed of which that happened. And um, credit to Anthony, when he came here, he was, he was open to having conversations. He was open to talking about different things. And um, I think that the the big transition year for him was uh, during 2020 when, when COVID went down, um, he really made some big jumps in terms of physicality. Um, so he came back for that 2021 season and, and really took off and uh, credit to him for putting in the work that, you know, he, he's a young kid coming into the organization at 18 and then 19 and to miss a year, but really make the most of it. Um, what's extremely impressive about Anthony is regardless if it's, you know, game one of the season or game 50 of the season, or he went 0 for 4 the previous day, or he went, you know, 3 for, three for 4 with two home runs. The way that he approaches this training is second to none. Uh, he's mm. He's got an incredible routine. He, uh, he accomplishes that routine on a daily basis. He's not going to allow – you know, one at bat where maybe he chased a curveball. He's not going to come in the next day and just, you know, spend all of his time and energy on this one pitch that he made a bad decision on. He knows that over the course of the season, if he's if he does certain things well, he's going to have a lot of success in the game. So uh, I think the professionalism that he carries, uh, how he's able to handle his business in in terms of training, obviously has helped him ha- have those success successes in the games at the minor league level. And now with the major league level, he's a uh, you know, he's a rookie shortstop for the New York Yankees. And um, maybe some of the scoreboard metrics fans would like to see a little bit higher. Uh, but what we see in terms of some of the underlying metrics are, are really positive signs. Uh, and we've got all the confidence in the world that as he continues to collect that bats at the big league level, uh, he's, he's going to be, he's going to be a perennial all-star for us for a really long time. So your position is hitting coordinator and the whole organization from a hitting standpoint right, is focused on hitting philosophy, these metrics that we've talked about, but there is a major psychological standpoint of hitting, especially for a guy like Anthony Volpe, who has so much pressure coming in on performance and performing now as a rookie. And when he's not, then fans are upset. And you see this across the board. It seems like, especially with social media, that the pressure just gets more and more and more. Is there any part of the organizational philosophy that goes into how to deal with pressure or how to tackle the psychological part of the game on top of just here are the metrics of hitting that we measure. Yeah, we've got a, um, we're we're lucky to have a phenomenal mental conditioning department. They um, we've got several members of that department that they travel, they travel through all, all of our affiliates and they they're there for the players to have those conversations, developing different routines. Um, from a mental side. And, and, and I know I, I speak with players during all of my trips and they talk about how valuable that department has been for them. So it's a, it's obviously a a huge piece of the puzzle. You know, these, these players are, they're, they're part of a profession where uh, as cliche it is like they're failing much more than they're having success. And to be able to handle that failure, but stay, stay committed to the process and not get outside the lanes of, this is this is where your development should go in terms of seeing just more and more success. Uh, it's obviously a huge piece, and New York New York's tough. It's um, mm, they yeah. they expect they expect you to win. They 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 want to win a World Series every single year, and and you know that's part of working here. That that's super exciting. Is um, there's an expectation to win, and when you have that expectation to win, it's um, you, you don't want to let people down. That's for sure. So we're um, we're obviously working daily with. Uh, maybe a lot of the guys that most fans don't know their names yet, or their their names are maybe kind of kind of tucked away just because they're younger, or they're not a top prospect. And hopefully, we can get some of the get some of those guys that start to get more more love on social media and start to get on some some prospect rankings board. And ultimately, whether it's a whether it's a trade where we can send them and bring in another piece that helps our big league team, or um, our our homegrown guys can make it up to the big leagues. At the end of the day. Uh, whether it's mental conditioning, player development from a hitting side, 
uh, strength and conditioning or performance science. We're looking to just build the most optimal player in terms of adding value to them to, to ultimately add value to our club to win the next World Series. So there's a few guys on the roster for the Yankees that are kind of on the tail end of their career. So a lot of fans, I'm sure, are kind of saying, hey, who's knocking at the door? And how how is our one through nine lineup going to look in the next couple of years based on who we have in our farm system? What's your overall outlook on the farm system? Just from the hitting side, how optimistic are you that there are some guys there that are going to be able to contribute within the next couple of years? Yeah, I think um, uh, whether it's right or wrong, when, when we talk to our guys, we, I think we want every, every one of our homegrown guys to, to be a New York Yankee and we want to win a World Series. Uh, but at the end of the day, obviously that decision's not up to me. It's not up to the player. And if the front office feels that we have some players that have value, that other teams value, and we can bring in maybe an established big leaguer, or we can bring in a different piece that we need that maybe a prospect doesn't fulfill, um, and we have those homegrown guys make their debut elsewhere, we're still incredibly excited for that. Um, so I guess to maybe take your question on, on top of that comment there, we We've got players throughout the system that 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 are going to be big leaguers, whether it's with us or without us. Um, a lot of the unknown is there, uh, but but if we just go go through AAA, um, I think a lot of fans they they know the name Austin Wells, um, uh, a really great left-handed bat that that's going to hit a lot of home runs in the big leagues for a long time. Um, not to you know not to forget anyone as I go through this, but we've got outfielders in AAA, uh, Everson Pereira. That's a forty-man guy that's. Uh, getting a lot of love, rightfully so. And uh, we've got some other guys there that um, they're just really good hitters in general. Um, Andres, Andres Chaparro is a third slash first baseman, and uh, he makes he makes a lot of contact. He makes probably 90% contact when he swings. Uh, so so those are some exciting hitters. Um, and then when we get down to double-A, we've got, we've got a lot of our top prospects in double-A. Guys like Trey Sweeney, um, Augustine Ramirez is a catcher. Uh, obviously, Jason Dominguez is there that, that – Fans are really excited about uh, another outfielder in Elijah Dunham, a, a, a third baseman named Tyler Hardman, who uh, was leading our home run, uh, leading our organization in home runs. Um, and then, you know, the farther you get down to, to high A and A, those those guys are obviously further away from the big leagues and actually making an impact. But uh, we've got some guys that are doing some really good things in terms of Spencer Jones is is a center fielder in Hudson Valley. That's that's an extremely exciting player for us. Um, they've got another infielder named Jared Serna who hit 19 home runs for our low A club before the trade deadline or before the halfway point of the season. And he just recently got promoted up to, up to high A. So, um, we, we just had, we just had the 23 draft and, um, our scouting department did a phenomenal job in bringing in some more pieces that I think we can, we can keep adding to their skill set. So, um, maybe I'm a little bit biased in terms of, in terms of the hitters that we have here. But I think when you look at what our organization uh, does on a whole and how how we can help hitters improve in certain areas. I think we've got a we got a pretty good thing going. You wouldn't be biased. There, there's <laughs> there's no bias when it comes to <laughs> to wearing that Yankees logo, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, um, you take you take some of that bias out, and yeah. you can definitely quantify just about anything. And uh, you know, the last three seasons were, were were top four in total runs scored, and scoring runs is probably important for winning ball games. And I know Yankee fans like so. winning ball games. So if we can, if we can do that more often than the other team, we end up winning more games than the other team. And uh, some of our other strengths are um, probably one of our biggest strengths is developing contact quality, uh, but also not sacrificing contact to develop that contact quality. Um, mm -hmm. And then you peel back another layer and, and this goes back to our philosophy of, of hitting strikes hard and, the strikes component, you know, we've talked a little bit about it already, but from a swing decision standpoint, I think um, a major strength of us is is helping hitters recognize pitches, uh, but also recognizing pitches as early as possible so they can get their best swing off. So, um, in terms of in terms of comparing our organization to twenty nine other organizations, uh, we we hit the ball harder than everyone else. Uh, we make better swing decisions, arguably, than anybody else. Uh, and something that we're really proud of from from 2022 to 2023 is, you know, there's this outside perception that we care about power over over hit or power over approach. And that, that could be the farthest thing from the truth, like like I already mentioned. But something that we're really proud of is is last year for um, for our full season affiliates from A ball to triple A, we were 27th in strikeout rate, which 
it's not good. You know, you're the, you're the third worst. Yeah. You have the third most strikeouts in all of baseball. And, and we don't want to be known for that. Uh, we were pr- produced really good contact quality, but we struck out a lot. And something that we've been able to make the adjustment on coming into this 23 season is as an organization, we've now gone from 27th all the way up to 13th in terms of strikeout rate. Right. So that's been a, that's been a huge jump. But what's what's another what's another piece that's really cool to that is we also haven't sacrificed any of our contact quality. We've actually improved on our contact quality. So uh, we're making some really good strides. Um, obviously, talking about the organization as a whole, there there's a lot of different factors under that. Um, so every hitter is a little bit different in their strengths, unless your strengths are a little bit different. But but as a whole, I think we're we're pushing in the right direction and how we scale game game planning and how we're talking about building an approach and what that looks like at every level and where we need to add more depth or uh, what are those lesser strengths that certain hitters need to get better at and how can we attack mm. those lesser strengths. So it's um there, there's obviously this 30,000 foot view and how does your organization produce? But when you peel back the layers and you get to this 100 foot view and you look at every single hitter, we, we've got a plan for everybody, and I think that's that's what we do. That's really special. Joe, I'm going to ask one more question before we get to our lightning round, and it's about that short right porch in Yankee Stadium. Does that factor into any part of the hitting philosophy? Are you talking to any of these guys saying, hey, once you're up in the majors at short right porch, that's an easy home run if, if we can take this kind of approach, whether you're a righty or a lefty? Yeah, it's a super interesting question, right? I think um, a lot of people would see what right field looks like and say, hey, uh, left-handed hitters just yank it, yank it down the line, hit it in the air, and hope it goes in the seats. And right-handed hitters just just push it to right field and 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 then hit it 315 feet and take a jog around the bases. But um, we're we're looking to develop hitters. We're not looking to develop guys that can hit hit a ball down the line for a home run. So uh, not not to get too deep into the swing itself, but in terms of of building optimal bat paths. Uh, you've you've got this bat path that that is that is slightly uphill in terms of when it makes contact with the baseball. Uh, but what's also important is uh, what's what's the zone depth or or where is that contact being made? Is it deeper? Uh, is it further out front? Um, ideally, when you make further out front, your attack angle in terms of how the bat is impacting the ball is a little bit higher, and that's why most players tend to when they pull the baseball in the air, it's at a higher launch angle. Than when they hit it to the opposite field. So uh, we're trying to develop a, a well-rounded swing that can cover that can cover all parts of the strike zone. Uh, but obviously hitters aren't up there trying to cover all parts of the strike zone. They've got certain approaches and certain counts. So uh, I guess to answer your question, maybe uh, a little less long-winded is we're, we're looking to develop hitters as a whole. And if it just so happens that hitters hit the ball, you know, to that right field short porch, we're, we're excited about it. Cool. All right, Joe, it's time for our 27th out lightning round. You ready to rock? I'll give my best. <laughs> Let's do this. All right. Who is your favorite MLB player of all time? What a question. Um, first guy that comes to mind, we'll go with Robinson Cano. Oh, that's, that is uh, not what I would have expected. That's awesome. You just mentioned a lot of guys in the organization, but who's one player that you're excited about? that you think will be breaking into the MLB, especially on the Yankees in the next few years that not many are talking about in your Yankees organization? Yeah, we have a, we have a player in double a uh, catcher, catcher slash first baseman. His name is Ben Rice. Uh, he played collegiately at Dartmouth. And oh. um, if I get some of these facts wrong, I don't mean to, but off the top of my head, I want to say that he had about a hundred plate appearances in college. Uh, obviously the Ivy the Ivy League lost the COVID season, but I think they actually missed two seasons. So he didn't he oh didn't God. get the opportunity to really develop through college. Uh, so he's a left-handed hitter. He makes he makes some of the best contact in our organization, but not only in our organization, he makes elite contact in terms of baseball in general. Uh, and with that contact, he has incredible pitch recognition. Um, and it just so happens that he also hits the ball hard. So I think regardless <laughs> of when, when you talk about really good players or really good hitters, 99% of them probably check off those three boxes. And uh, the more that the more plate appearances Ben Rice gets under his belt, we're continuing to see a hitter that's just getting better and better. And uh, it's really, really exciting to watch. You said the Yankees hitting philosophy is hit strikes hard. Which Yankee 
on the current roster embodies the hitting philosophy the most? Yeah, I, I, I want to say all of them. Uh, <laughs> so I want to say all of them. Uh, and then obviously when you break it down, um, not all of our hitters in the big leagues came up through our system. So uh, it's a little bit new to them, or maybe the, the terminology is a little bit different, but um, Volpe, Volpe is, is incredible. He, he does it. He does it as good as anyone um, in terms of hitting strikes hard, um, whether it's lucky or unlucky or uh, a rookie season or not a rookie season, we anticipate him getting better and better as the years go on. But he um, he's definitely the poster child for hit strikes hard. That's for sure. Cool. Who's the favorite coach that you have worked with in your professional career? Man, I feel um, I feel like that's a tough question because I don't want to single anybody out. Uh, I mentioned earlier Tony Rossi from Siena giving me giving me my mm -hmm. first chance. Um, also, the head coach at Southeast Missouri State, Steve Beezer. Uh, and then, and then probably Rick Heller at the University of Iowa. Really, uh, really, all, all three of those guys helped me in my career exponentially. More than more can I get more than I could ever give back to them. Cool. Uh, if I were to ask anyone in your staff, give me one adjective to, to describe Joe. What would it be? One adjective to describe myself from the staff. Um, or I, I would. I would hope. I would hope the word. I would hope the word loyal comes up. All right, if you could go back to 12-year-old Joe and you tell yourself anything, what would you tell 12-year-old Joe? I think when I reflect back on my childhood, um, there was this competitive side to me that that maybe took sports and games a little bit too serious. Uh, I think I think obviously winning is important. It's, uh, I think that's why I love working for the New York Yankees is, is winning is everything. We, we want to win. Uh, but when I look back on my childhood, maybe – Maybe there were events where I should have enjoyed it a little bit more and should have taken um, some of those enjoy enjoyments and, and really appreciate them a little bit more versus getting so worked for so worked up for going, you know, one for four or only scoring a couple points in a game or missing missing a goal in soccer or, or whatever example it might be. I think just really enjoying those moments as a, as a child and, and just being a kid and not not putting too much pressure on myself. Awesome. Joe, you nailed the 27th out lightning round. Now it's time for the final pitch question. And that is as the hitting coordinator for the Yankees, what, what is the next step is, is there a next step uh, on the horizon for you to either elevate yourself within the organization or, or is there another next pinnacle for uh, where you want to go in your career? Yeah, I, I guess I don't want to answer the question in terms of being too cliche, but but the way that I the way that I go about my job, whether it's you know the last few years as a coordinator or the the first three years here as an affiliate coach, is the difference between now and when I was in college. Is in college I was just trying to get you know move up levels, have more job security, uh, get somewhere that I could actually pay my bills and be in less debt. Uh, now I'm just trying to do the best job that I can on a daily basis, and and I really don't worry about me. I worry about how I can help the people around me. Uh, so if that means that I'm going to be the coordinator for the next however many years, uh, I hope that I can help develop people on our staff to to get to the jobs that that they have goals for. And if that ultimately leads me to to the Yankees being interested in another role or another team being interested in another role, when that when that time comes, we'll have that conversation and go through that process and um, obviously talk to my wife about it and see what that looks like. But but in terms of how I do my job on a daily basis, I, I, I honestly don't worry about what's happening tomorrow uh, in terms of, you know, am I going to get a call for another job? I'm just trying to, to develop our coaches as best as we can and be there, be there for, for a support piece for what anybody might need. Awesome. Joe, fun talking to you about Yankees and hitting philosophy. It's always fun just talking shop with a professional, especially when it comes to someone who's got as much experience as you do at your craft. So congrats on where you're at and uh, congrats on uh, just being the the person that you are to help the Yankees your organization and uh, best of luck, man. Thank you for being on here. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Really appreciate it, man. Guys hitting is absolutely an art and you can tell just how much Joe puts into his art, into his craft to be one of the best hitting coordinators in the game. So uh, thanks again to Joe for being on the show next week. Again, we're going kind of down this route of a different guest. 
Jason Cannon. Uh, I'm really excited about Jason for the fact that he is a renowned author and he's following his passion of baseball. You'll hear a really cool story about his thesis that he had to write for college and how uh, the professors did not want him to write about baseball, but he still went down that route and, and what that meant for him and his life. It's a really, really cool story for him to share. And and he's got a really great book coming out about Billy Williams and Willie McCovey and the tie between those two Hall of Famers. Uh, this guy also knows more about Charlie Murphy, the former owner of Chicago Cubs back in the early 1900s, than anyone on this entire earth. And if you can kind of picture it, he's like the Mark Cuban of the early 1900s. Um, just really uh, in the news a lot and can be controversial, can be really great with the players. And then before you know it, now he's creating a lot of controversy that's taken away from the team. There, there's a lot of similarities that I saw with Charlie Murphy and Mark Cuban. And I think it was a really cool story coming from an expert who knows more about this guy than anyone else that I really want you all to hear about. After that, by the way, we're going to be starting a series because it's hot stove season. Baseball is over. Our championship time is over. Our playoff time is over. And now it's time to start thinking about what is your team going to look like here coming up at the beginning of 2024. And so for me, I'm going to be getting a lot of beat reporters on the show talking about what the team's focus is going to be. Maybe if they have any inside scoops on what trades or what free agents those teams are going to be all about. We're going to attempt to do this 30 teams in 30 days. I really put a strong emphasis on the term try because this is going to be one of those times that uh, I'm going to have to be patient with the number of requests that all of these beat reporters, the number of projects that they're doing to try to get them on the show. So we're going to see how we can do this, but the goal is 30 teams in 30 days. If you aren't already subscribed, please make sure to go ahead and do that so that you can see all of the next episodes coming out, starting with Jason's next week during the, the Thanksgiving holiday, and then beyond that during the 30 teams in 30 days. Review us, send it to three baseball friends. I would love to see your friends and your family know about this show as well. well that's going to do it for me right now, Setup Nation. I'm going to go ahead and put my arm on ice. We'll see you next time.